0: For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles Podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode. And we got a dandy today. Now, when you think of, or when you hear the term sportsman's paradise, you don't typically think of Florida, but today's guest is gonna try to hype us all up about all of the different uh, hunting and fishing opportunities that uh, Florida has to offer his name is Travis Thompson and he is uh, let me sh- make sure I got that right again it's either Travis Thompson <laughs> and I'm not gonna edit this because this sounds absolutely horrible yeah Travis Thompson uh, from Florida and uh, he's a uh, he's a fisherman. Uh, Fisher guide or fisherman guide. God damn it, I can't talk today. (laughs) He is a guide down there for all things. He's huge into conservation. And uh, we we talk about turkey. We talk about deer. We talk about fishing. And then we talk a lot about the misconceptions of Florida. Um, Did you know right out of the gate here, and he's going to talk about that, that Florida is a very uh, cattle heavy state right for for cattle Uh, that blew my mind I had no idea Um, Florida uh, is also one of those states that keeps growing and growing and growing and uh, how some of the 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 natural resources are slowly getting enclosed um, just due to urban sprawl and things like that and uh, Travis talks about all of this stuff and so it's a really it it's something that just kind of makes you think right? He talks about the number of sportsmen that are in the state. He talks about the people who are coming to the state. And then with that, you know, people are coming from everywhere. They think that they're going to try to bring their views and values into the state when it comes to hunting and fishing. And there's this collide there. So we also talk a lot about conservation efforts. Um, We also talk about not necessarily anti-hunting, but this uh, this this friction between people who don't want hunting—I guess you could call it anti-hunting—or don't necessarily have all the information about hunting—and then people like himself who are fighting for continued rights to hunt and getting access for hunting uh, and uh, fighting the, the good fight there as well as like uh, like he said guarding the gate so it's a really interesting episode it's all about Florida um, but I found it interesting because I didn't think you know you think you think tourism beaches, sunshine, uh, there's a whole bunch of other things that go on in Florida, and uh, man, I hope you guys enjoy this episode, because I, I really enjoyed uh, um, recording it, just for the education uh, aspect, so uh, take a listen, huge shout out to all of the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles, we got Wasp Broadheads, uh, NFC20 for 20% off uh, of a, uh, of man, I am sorry, guys. I am horrible. I'm being horrible today. I should, I should edit this. And that way you guys would say, Oh man, he's really professional, but I'm not professional uh, because, um, this is real life, right? People get tongue tied people. It's like uh, social media. You only see the really good parts of the, uh, You know, of somebody's life. They don't ever show you the shitty parts. I'm having a a bad talking day today. So bear with me as I talk to you about uh, uh, the partners here of the podcast. WattsBarchery.com. Go check them out. And then NFC20 for 20% off. Excalibur Crossbows. ExcaliburCrossbow.com if you're looking for a crossbow. Awesome company. Awesome people. Been around 30 years. HuntStand. uh, Huntstand HuntStand.com. You need to go check that out. 20 percent discount sn20huntstand.com if you want to download for free one of the most popular it actually it is the most popular um hunting app on the market maps different you know a whole bunch of different functionality go read on that just got back from uh, my visit with vortex i got three excellent podcasts coming up here in the future and that's going to be um uh, I'm going to call that Vortex Week. So all the content coming out of my camp, hunt, uh, the Nine Finger Chronicles, and the Hunting Gear Podcast is going to be a uh, Vortex focused. And then ExodusOutdoorGear.com for uh, if you're looking for a badass trail camera. Um, man, I feel confident when I use them. I I turn them on. I walk away, and guess what? They uh, they work. So there's that Vortex. Hunt Stand, Excalibur, Wasp, and Exodus, and then I got some more, uh, some more partners coming here pretty soon that you guys uh, should be pretty excited about. I know I'm going to be excited about it as well. So stay tuned for that. But enough talking. Let's get into today's episode with Travis Thompson. Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Mister Travis Thompson. Travis, how we doing, man? Good, Dan. How are you? I'm doing good. You're a Florida boy. Yes, sir. Fifth generation, born and raised. Fifth generation, Florida. I'll, now, every time somebody talks to me about Florida, all I think of is my experiences with Florida. And I, I've only been to Florida two, two times. No. Yeah. Two times. One was uh, in 2002 for a, a football game where Iowa played USC in the 2001 Orange Bowl. And so I did the whole Fort Lauderdale thing. I went down to Miami for a couple days, you know, did the beach type uh, things. And then uh, another time I f- was an overnight there, just like a one day and did, I think it got what, of, what's one of the major airports down there? I, probably Miami, right? Miami, Orlando, or Tampa, or the okay. Big Three. Yeah, so it was it was Miami, and this was got a long time ago as well. And so I we had an overnight, went out one night, you know, did a little bit of beach stuff, and then I flew out the next day to uh, down into the Caribbean. But um, everything I hear about Florida is, is from a sportsman's standpoint, it, it's there's a lot to offer from you know, hunting and fishing as well. Listen,
1: first off, we've got to fix your Florida experience because mm-hmm. that's not that's not sufficient at all. <laughs> I had fun though. I had fun. <laughs> uh secondly, um, yeah, like like I, I was looking at this for somebody today. Our turkey season in the zone I live in ends April twenty fourth. And from that point to deer season in the South zone, we have thirteen weeks. Okay. So you can hunt something what is that? Three quarters of the year, more than three quarters of the year. Like that's, you can hunt something. And then obviously that's not even talking about fishing, which you can do year round anytime. So, um, it's kind of a, it's kind of a sneaky state when you think about it, because we lean so heavily into fishing, but we also have saltwater fishing. We have freshwater fishing. And then, you know, you can hunt, obviously our deer aren't the Midwest deer that you guys talk about a lot, but you know, we do, we have deer, we, we have, uh, alligators. That's a little different. Yeah. Um, Osceola turkeys. And then I, I do a lot of waterfowl waterfowl is my primary focus. And so we have, you know, ducks that a lot of collectors want to come here to get from all over the place, but we have really good duck hunting just in general. Like we get a lot of migratory birds and teal and, and divers. And so it's a, it's a uniquely positioned sportsman state, uh, that's just growing at a rate that's, um, uh, somewhat alarming.
0: Yeah. And I'll tell you this, I feel like it rained. The cool thing about Like here in Iowa, it's been cloudy for, we had yesterday morning for about four hours, there was sun. The previous five days were cloudy and mixed with rain and snow. Today, it looks like for the next four days is going to be a mixture of rain, but overcast. But one thing I liked about a a state like Florida is there, when I was down there, it rained every day for maybe an hour or less. And then it was back to sunshine again. So it's almost like I don't know, like a, a front moves through once a day, and then it's done, and then it's over. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, especially like this time of year, we're getting into our summer weather pattern where you'll get the uh, the onshore, offshore breeze, and so as they kind of compete against each other, the air lifts or low lowers, and you'll get you'll get little thunderheads that kind of develop yeah. along those thermoclines, and yeah, we get. We get a rainstorm every afternoon, starting like late April, early May, we'll start getting rain and it'll rain, you know, every day off or on until October, September, October. Yeah. So, And then that's, that's not, you know, adding in a hurricane or something fun like that. Right. Get <laughs> right. Torrential rain for a long period of time, tropical right. storm. But so yeah, wh- it's just, you wait five minutes and the weather changes.
0: Right. Where, where are you located at in Florida?
1: So, so my house, that's where I'm at today. My house is in central Florida, um, exactly halfway between Orlando and Tampa. Okay. A little town called Winter Haven. If you're, if you're a theme park person, that's the home of Legoland. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, we're about 45 minutes from, from one and an hour from the other. So we're, we're almost perfectly located between them.
0: Right. And then so how far? Oh, so Orlando, that's further north. So you still got a ways to go if you wanted to go down to like Naples or Miami or something like that
1: yeah it's it's about three three and a half hours to miami so i I run hunts um essentially all over the lower half of the state in the peninsula mm-hmm. and and so um, I spend a lot of time down south of Lake Okeechobee. I do a lot of advocacy work for uh, Everglades restoration for Lake Okeechobee. but you know it's it's a deceiving thing that's that's something I'm sure we'll talk more about as this conversation unfolds but uh, the the water that comes out in Florida Bay down by the Keys starts in Orlando at okay. Shingle Creek, and so if you're going to have a if you're going to be a consumer, I think you have to pay attention to the resource as a conservationist, and that means you got to pay attention to the whole board. You can't just look at one piece.
0: Right, right. I feel you. So you mentioned you mentioned kind of a, a fifth generation. Is it a Floridian? Is that what you guys call yourself? Yeah, actually, old Florida people called themselves crackers. We are Florida crackers, and the origin
1: the origination of that name was because Florida is a cattle heavy state. Um, to this day, I think five of the top twenty five ranches in the, in United States are in Florida. Oh, really? And we we do mostly cow calf operations, so those cat those calves are you know grown six months to a year and then shipped off to Texas to a feed lot or whatever. But um, yeah, so they would. Florida was a very wild state and there were no fences. So you would brand your cattle and you just kind of let them roam. But the way to drive the cattle was you had to use whips. And so the term that originated was the Florida cracker. So if if you're multi-generation, you call yourself a Florida cracker.
0: I gotcha. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So you guys have been through your fair share of hurricanes. So obviously if you're on the coast, a hurricane hits, it could be pretty destructive. How far... How far inland do you have to be for, I don't know, if a if a hurricane is coming on the coast and you're 45 minutes away, does it die down by then? Or are you still like, hey, man, there's a hurricane coming and you got to ride it out?
1: No, you couldn't hear me shaking my head because it's radio, but I was shaking my head as you were saying that. Yeah. No, it's, it's still pretty lousy. You yeah. don't have the concern really with um, coastal flooding like you, storm surges where you get a high tide as, as you make landfall with a wind pushing right. that can get really deadly as far as like storm surges go. But, you know, inland, I'm, I'm pretty far in, I'm actually on the Ridge, which we call the great divide of, of Florida. It's our elevation's like 350 feet. Uh, so, so inland we're not worried about being flooded out, but we are for sure worried about the winds. And when you get a hurricane, like we won't be under a hurricane watch, but we'll be under a wind watch. Yeah. And, they're really substantial as long as you have massive trees over your house though, you're usually okay barring a tornado spinning off which I think Florida's third in the nation for tornadoes yeah and and then if you survive the hurricane which you know you usually survive the hurricane hunkering down in a in a closet or whatever then you've got to worry because you don't have power for X number of days or weeks so it's in the hurricane season always when it's really really just brutally hot and so you you live without AC like the pioneers did. Yeah. So we get really accustomed to smell like sunscreen and bug spray and
0: <laughs> taking cold showers. Right, right. So let me, okay, so we've already talked about some misconceptions of Florida. You, you said it's a cattle-heavy state. I would have never, like, if you said, and obviously what I'm about to say holds merit, but all I, I just thought Florida is tourism and Florida is like the the 80s flood of cocaine from South America like everything that I everything that I've watched or heard or even myself have participated well I shouldn't say participate like I know anything about that the, sounds like a good story to <laughs> got tongue tied there a second but like you know like I watched the the cocaine cowboys documentary and things like that and and then every obviously tourism and 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 things like that what are some other misconceptions about florida and maybe this is where you throw in the you know you've already talked a little bit about uh, the hunting fishing aspect of it but what are some other misconceptions about florida
1: yeah you know it's it's funny you say that because um i know a lot of people that are floridians i'll say in the millennial age range like that 20 to 30 year old that have never been to miami I have zero desire to go to Miami. I've been to Miami for, for like advocacy work before. And I've been to Miami on work work before. And I have zero desire to go there. Like it is a concrete jungle. That's not Florida. Yeah. Um, And then the other side of that is I have an aversion to theme parks just in general. Like I just don't like them. They're not my yeah. idea of fun. So I've, I've been to most of them in my life growing up here. But I, I haven't been to a theme park in probably 15, 20 years. And so the things that you kind of picture we talk about Florida being between the beaches. Yeah. Um, I have, I have a good friend that has a podcast called between the beaches and he's a cattle rancher and he, he talks a lot about Florida's ranching heritage on it. And it's (laughs) most people don't know. Florida has, I want to say 9 million acres of public land. Oh, wow. Now that's not all accessible to hunting. I think roughly only do this number, about 2 million acres are accessible to hunting, but we have about 9 million acres of public land. Uh, that's substantial yeah. for the, for the East coast. Florida is uh, the Montana guys always love this, but Florida is the place on the Eastern seaboard where you can get the furthest away from civilization. So I know you can go to like Yellowstone or someplace and get X number of miles away, but I think in Florida, you can get like 26 or 27 miles from the nearest road. Oh, wow. So we still have some giant swaths of wilderness. You can still get away from light pollution in the Everglades or the 10,000 islands. And It's it's just really interesting. The other the other fact that I kind of think, and maybe the audience would find fascinating, is uh, we have twenty one and a half million people. Florida grows at a thousand people a day. Dang! So we have twenty one and a half million people, and we have roughly two hundred thousand hunting licenses we sell. So juxtapose that with a state like Montana, where they sell two hundred fifty ish thousand hunting licenses, and they have just over a million people, and you can see how the the uh, constituency looks drastically different. Like we are a fingernail on the state of Florida. Whereas in a state like Montana, you're talking about a population that's a, that's a, that's a voting block. Yeah. You know, you can, you can absolutely swing something. Whereas we're, you know, fighting tooth and nail for every inch we can grab down here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. So let's see here. There's a couple more things about Florida that I want to talk to you about. Um, if, uh, before we get into like the main topic today, but the, fr- the real, real quick, let's say I'm coming down there and obviously you're going to say, Hey, between the, give between the beaches. I, I do me. I have no desire to go to Disneyland or, or Disney world or any Legoland. my kids and my wife maybe, but like for me, I'm with you. I don't want to do that kind of stuff. Um, so if you're going to go visit a beach, whether, are you going to the Gulf or are you going to the Atlantic?
1: Oh man, that's such a hard question. So, so for the beach, yeah, we go to Southwest Florida. Like, um, I won't say the specific beach cause I don't want more people there, but, um, basically from Tampa South to like Naples, there's a lot of really beautiful beaches in yeah. that, in that area. And the water will look like the keys does, but you'll have good sand beaches. Um, yeah. It's that's a special part of the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. Uh, and then, all right, so I ran into a guy who lives, uh, or I had, a, had him on, and I think he's a deer hunter. This was a long time ago, and he hunts South Florida whitetails. And now he's, he's also doing this thing where he is, ki- like, killing pythons. Right. Okay. Like, so the uh, they're they are even making a movie about it, right? Where this guy he needs to make money real quick, and um, he needs to pay off some debt or some alimony or whatever. It's a comedy, but he goes down to Florida. He's in Florida, and he's like, okay, well, one of the fastest ways to make money is go kill these pythons, and and then that's the that's the whole premise of this this movie. Is this like? talk to me about this invasive species this, this python what they're doing if you know anything about this what they're doing that's so bad down there and like the people taking advantage of the state paying them to kill
1: yeah so i i have a couple of friends that are python hunters and and through our podcast i was able to go on a python hunt with them and first off Pythons, no one really knows how they got, obviously they're an invasive species, but the, the kind of the prevailing theory is when Hurricane Andrew hit in the early 90s, I think it was 92, August 23rd, 92, sounds right. Um, it destroyed some kind of a breeding facility, the reptile trade, you talked about cocaine cowboys, yeah. obviously the exotic animals. <laughs> I yeah. don't know if you remember this, but the, the Joe Exotic, Carol Baskin thing, like the, the opening scene of that entire show was in Florida and Miami because that's where the exotic pet trade comes in. Um, so there was a facility that was destroyed. These, these animals escaped into the Everglades. And once they got in there, they got rooted. Um, and there is no getting them out. They're just, I mean, I'd say that's a harsh terrain. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how to convey that to people other than it is just a, I've had duck hunter collector duck hunters that have killed all their ducks in North America. You know, the 41, 42 species say that the hardest hunt that they did was in Florida. Like, Obviously, it's difficult to get to Alaska or get out there or whatever. But the hardest hunt they did was in Florida to get those ducks. And it's because the terrain is just harsh. It's wet. It's muggy. There's mosquitoes. There's snakes. There's alligators. There's pythons now. So you're really, you're going into a hundreds of thousands of square miles area. And you're just trying to root these snakes out that can live underwater. Like they they, they can swim beneath the water. Um, they eat everything on demand I've heard estimates 90 to 98 percent of small mammals in the Everglades have been wiped out by pythons dang so there's no food quality to them because they're so high in Mercury um they've been most most people I think Gordon Ramsay came down and did a show where he he did clean one but like there's a risk to consuming them on a regular basis so there's no economy to be built around that so my friends um my friend Anne Gordon Vega and and her friend Amy we are two really they become good friends of mine through Python hunting, and they they go out, they get paid peanuts, and they go so this movie I was obviously taking a lot of creative license because yeah. you're not gonna make you're not gonna make much money doing this. But they go out and they go out at night and they drive these levees in the dark and they have these trucks that are like really tricked out with lights and they're just driving along scanning the the lower parts of the levees. Think of it as like a 15 foot 20 foot levee and you're driving down on top of it and you're just looking for snakes and I'm telling you as a guy that makes his living outdoors you know i've I've made a living as a tarpon guide as a hunting guide as just a general fishing like I, I'm outside a lot and you know how you develop that eye to where you're able to see stuff yeah like something just you're driving past a field and you're like oh there's are cows but look that's a deer you're able to pick it out really quick right these ladies are infinitely better at me we were driving down a levee and we were standing in the back of this truck and, and Amy screams Python. And they back up like 15 feet and they shine the light down there and they both get out and they go down there. And I bravely stayed in the back of the truck because this thing, like snakes that are bigger than me are not something I normally want. And to someone has to, to
0: stay in the car, right? Someone's got to stay in the better car. Better safe than sorry, right?
1: <laughs> um, so they get down there and Ann is like 65 years old and Amy weighs like a hundred pounds soaking wet. And the next thing I know they're diving into the water and I never saw this snake. Like, over a five minute deal. I never saw the snake and I'm a guy that makes my living outdoors doing stuff. I see the bottom of Ann's shoes as she dives in on top of the snake. <laughs> and then she comes up thrashing and then Amy goes in after her and I'm standing, you know, 30 yards away in the truck safely. And Hey, do y'all need my help? And they're like, yes, get your ass down here. And so I wander down there and help them pull it out. And so I got pictures with it, which makes me look like the big tough guy. Yeah. But yeah, pythons are a big deal. Um, now they're working on dogs like they're they're training labs and ger- I think they got a german short hair that they, they've trained to sniff them out so hopefully they can share some more developments with that they're doing a thing with with what they call sentinel snakes where they release a male and tag him and then they follow him and they can go find the female and all the males like kind of gather up with the female yeah when she becomes gravid and so they're able to you know kill 30 or 40 at a time versus one so but it's just a really hard hard inefficient we caught one 20 minutes in my first night with them and i'm like oh this is easy we're gonna catch a thousand and then we drove around for three hours without seeing another one so it's just a hard inefficient tough job i'm really thankful for the people that are willing to go out and do it because it is a you could say, yeah, they get a little bit celebrity, but they're not getting celebrity when it comes to money or anything else. Yeah. Um, and Amy, in fact, has come up with a kind of a cool idea. She is she's buying pythons from other trappers, and then she's tanning them and selling the leather. So, so maybe if we could see an economy growing around that, um,
0: there'd be more. Know, I don't want to yeah. see
1: I don't want to see the Everglades overrun with people traipsing around down there. But at the same time, we we definitely can't have these snakes just left unchecked, and that's. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really hard thing. So pythons are fascinating, brother.
0: Yeah, I believe it. And there's no animal that probably eats them other than if they're small, maybe like a bird of prey or something or another, like maybe an alligator. But it's not like, it's not like, I'm guessing after a certain point, they just are, they're more of a predator than a, a, a meal for something.
1: Yeah. They're, they're an apex predator. Uh, Yes, you're exactly right. We've seen both sides of the story with alligators where an alligator eats a big one or where a big one has eaten an alligator. Um, man, Everglades are nasty. They got, they got some stuff down there. I mean, between, between panthers, pythons, alligators, black bears, like it's, it's a hard place to be a small mammal.
0: Yeah. So, so last question, panthers, black panthers, um, are they, are, are they around still down there? So no such thing as a black panther. Okay. All right. Um, someone's going to yell at you that I said
1: that, but there's no such thing. Science has shown that panthers, Puma can collar, I think it's Puma can call, can't have melanism. Okay. So you, you could never see a black panther. You you could see them like in the shadows of a tree, especially if they were wet, they might would look darker. And that's probably where that's rooted in. But yeah, the state guesstimates there's around two, 200, 250 panthers. Um, there's, I would guess there's likely more than that. Although they're a very elusive animal, uh, you know, you'll find ranchers and folks down there that have been there all their life and never seen one, and then you'll find other guys that have seen uh, hundreds of them. The yeah. Gladesmen, which is a kind of a culture in South Florida, the Gladesmen, they you know they turkey hunt in the Everglades, and they you, you get some of those guys. You you sit in a, a turkey blind in the Everglades with a turkey call and it's not unusual for a panther to wander by or about yet, you know, that yeah. there's, there's a lot, a lot more than probably we know about. So,
0: yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. So Florida is this amazing, uh, amazing place, you know, North, it runs North South. So the ecosystems from the Everglades all the way to the pine stands of the North, right. I mean, are just, it's a, it's crazy in the diff, the difference, right. Um, so let me ask you, let me ask you this. You re- you reached out to me and you, you made a, uh, let me, okay. I'll tell you what, let me back up just a hair. What do you do for a living? <laughs> so I'm, I'm probably out,
1: outside the state best known for being Florida's only full-time waterfowl guide. Okay. And, and that means I make most of my money running duck hunting operations. Okay. Um, lots of people come to Florida. They want to collect ducks. They come hunt with me. We do lots of programs in state aimed at new hunters. So R3 type programs. Um, we did a program a few years ago where we allowed you to pay your age and come on a guided hunt. So if you're 27, it was 27 bucks. If you were 73, it was 73 bucks. So we did charge the 73 year old guys. Um, but we do, we do a lot of stuff focused on, you know, engaging new hunters, trying to get more people into the outdoors. Um, I, I still do a little bit of fishing guiding although not nearly as much as I used to primarily this. Now it's like legacy clients that I've had. And then I run um, Cast and Blast Florida, which is the probably the largest outdoors podcast in Florida. We, we focus almost exclusively on Florida issues and Florida things. Every once in a while we'll stray outside for an interview, but uh, generally speaking, we're, we're pretty focused. So between those three things, um, that keeps me pretty busy. And then we launched a nonprofit called All Florida, which is, the, the tagline is authentic conservation, but the idea behind it is we want to create conservationists. Um, it's not enough to just be a sportsman's org or an environmental org. We want to see the actual creation of people that understand the North American model of conservation and, and, and are able to apply it to situations wherever they're at in our state. Because, you know, I mentioned this population numbers a minute ago we see a lot of pressing in a lot of areas. There's too many battles to fight on a daily basis. So we have to, we have to have our heads on a swivel. So that's how I make my living is off those four things. Um, But primarily it's, it's probably being known for waterfowl.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So you're, uh, you're encased in the outdoors. So let me, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about this, this conservation, right? You reached out to me via, via Instagram and you said, Um, Hey man, I, uh, I heard your rant that you went on about the hunting industry, not doing enough. And then you, uh, one of the lines from, uh, your, your message to me was in Florida, you guys really try to focus on the conservation aspect of it and not so much the hunting aspect of it. So explain what you mean by that.
1: What I mean by that is, um, well, that's a, wow, that's a big question.
0: Yeah. So, so,
1: so bear with me as I wander through this and feel yep. free to interrupt, but most states, and I don't know your state's budget off the top of my head, but most states, their wildlife agency budget is largely composed from hunting and fishing license dollars and then federal matches back to that, right? Your Pittman-Robertson dollars or your Dingle-Johnson right. dollars. In Florida, um, it's roughly 2% of our state's wildlife budget is made of that. We've replaced it with doc stamps, which is a a document stamp on the sale of houses. We've replaced it with uh, gas taxes, like not drilling gas taxes, but taxes like at the pump. And so what has happened over time is we've really marginalized the need for hunters on the landscape, which is super threatening if you dig into the North American model. And I set that as part of the table because the reason we focus on conservation is I don't believe conservation can exist without hunting as a, as a tent pole of it. And I don't believe conservation can exist without the North American model. Like in North America, we're the envy of the world. You can listen to Mahoney or Geist or any of those guys talk about it. So I see a lot of red flags in my state around how we've changed the funding for our agency and for conservation as a whole And we've actually, you know, our state wildlife agency pretty frequently talks about moving towards mutualism as use versus utilitarian use. Like, this is not a secret that we're headed that direction.
0: Elaborate on that a
1: little bit. Utilitarian being consumptive use, taking for the table. um, You're you're utilizing that, that animal versus mutualistic use is... Probably as a sportsman or an outdoorsman, that's my relationship with a butterfly, right? Like I enjoy it. It's a, or a bee. It's a pollinator, but I'm not going to kill it. I'm not going to utilize it. So um, that's a that's a pretty ad- adopted and uh, accepted belief in our state. So uh, forgive me again for wandering on this, but there was a there was a big toll road bill that was pushed through a few years back, and. Um, The the state appointed a bunch of folks to be members of this commission to study the toll road. It was 135 people, I think, were appointed, not a sportsman at the table. So they had all these environmental groups. And when I say environmental, I mean no hook, no bullet. They had all these environmental groups on there. And our state wildlife agency actually said to me, well, you and Defenders of Wildlife want the same thing, so you'll just have to align with them on this. You and Center for Biological Diversity want the same thing, so you'll just have to align with them on this. And I realize that there's times where we overlap, but uh, that's a pretty alarming thing for your state wildlife agency to say to you as a consumptive user. And so I'm going in a long way around to say we really try to promote conservation because conservation, if you if you you know Googled it within the construct of the outdoors industry, is seeking the proper use of a resource. Preservation is to protect this resource from being used. And In Florida, if we can get people to sit down with us and have a conversation around seeking the proper use of a resource, I'll use bears for an example. We're the only state in the country with a population of more than 1,000 bears and no bear season. We have 4,000 bears. We actually have more bears in Florida today than we did in 15, whatever it was, 1530 when Hernando de Soto landed here. Bear scientists say we have more bears today with 21.5 million people than we did when there were 30,000 people but we can't have a bear hunt and we can't have a bear hunt because it's political mm-hmm. bear warriors of Florida, bear warriors United and PETA and humane society, of the United States. And you can look at the money and it funnels down here. Well, very quickly it becomes this narrative of why would you want to kill a mama bear and take her away from her babies? And I, I got kids. I understand the cuteness of that or the uncuteness of that. So when we talk about conservation, we have to start sometimes at a baseline that is beyond you know hunters or conservationists simply by buying our license i'm not saying we're not but i'm saying that conversation looks very different for us down here which is a, which is a concern i think will become more national as rawa passed and becomes a and becomes law and we see that funding begin to spread around and as we see more and more um, and i'm not saying that's a bad bill or a bad funding mechanism but i definitely think we have to be watching you, you hear somebody like a clay newcomb say we have to guard the gate on bear hunting yeah we actually have to guard the gate because hunting in, as, as a species, I say this all the time, the most endangered species of Florida is actually a, a hunter because we just are every day we decrease in value and in population simply as a percentage overall with transplantation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the question that I have here is for you is when you focus right on the conservation aspect of it that that when when i when i hear conservation i hear more inclusive of everybody and what i mean all inclusive i mean people who hunt and who don't hunt of course they want to be conservationists but then there's this defining mark on a a hunter who can be a conservationist but also a hunter but not all hunters are, con- are all conservationists are hunters so then we we work together it's almost like we work together on certain aspects but then all of a sudden the hunters say okay now it's our turn to talk and then the rest of the uh, population says uh-uh no we don't you, hunting no 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 we want to do all these good things for the animal for the ecosystem for the environment but you're not going to No, we're not going to hunt. So how do you, what's that conversation like then with like, how do we take one goal of conservation, but have both part sides of the party talk or of the aisle talk in, into this, uh, this overall benefit, I guess,
1: man, or where do you guys run into,
0: where do you guys run into your. Struggles in that conversation.
1: that I can tell you that I, if you figure out the answer to this, and if one of your listeners figures out the answer to this, I'd love to know the answer because it's like this this tension, right? First, there's a tension in among hunts, hunters themselves because if you're a public land guy, which I I now have access to private land, but I grew up a public land hunter. You should not mention where you go because the competition is so fierce, right? Like that's common sense, and we all know that. Well we now have a tension because how do I bring more people into this constituency of hunters without giving away some of my places and allowing, now I've got to compete with people that I kind of home group. And so that's why we see a natural attrition in hunting, I think is because people don't want to share what they, what they have or what they're with, where they go, kind of their spots. And we have an inherent competition like hunting, I want to kill a bigger deer than you. You want to kill a bigger bear than me. You want to kill your your ducks faster than I do. And I, I think we look at that wrong as an industry, as a community. I think our competition should be with ourselves and with the with the animals we're chasing, not with other sportsmen. It's, it should be, should be about the the name on the back of the jersey, but the name on the front. Anyway, the problem we run into is even getting in the door through the con- conversation because. So often in Florida, in Florida, the joke is usually the the further north you go, the further south you get. Right. But that's not really true. Like I live in Polk County, which is a a peninsular, very central, closer to South Florida community, and the term in Florida for a redneck is a Polk County redneck. Like that's you can go anywhere and say that, and people know exactly what you're talking about. So. It's kind of like we've got this mold out there of the, the. I, I use the term, the Bubba Redneck. And it's off-putting sometimes to folks on the other side of, you'll say the aisle. I'm going to say the aisle, but I don't mean that in political parties. I mean that in this in this conversation. And how can we engage with them, but also still be who we are? This is the struggle we always have with posting a dead animal, right? Like if I post this dead animal, does it turn off? someone on the other side, but why would I on earth be ashamed of my son killing a turkey or my daughter killing a duck? Like I want to celebrate that moment. And so I just think really what we've ran into is it is art, not science navigating this. Um, and we've learned that over a a long period of time. Like we, we really engage with our wildlife photographers in Florida, people that, that want to see and share in some of the stories that we're able to tell because we have proximity to you know ducks are a big deal because they're beautiful, but in Florida we have so many birds that are endangered—snail kites and roseate spoonbills and wood storks—and so with the photographers, we'll actually get sometimes our duck hunting photographers to take pictures of some of those birds that we can then share with the birding community, and say, hey, we are sportsmen, but we're we'll, we're conservationists. And then when you get them out there on a truck or a trailer and you're able to start taking pictures with them, it comes up naturally, and I it's really easy to be divisive on social media and you 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 gravitate towards the extremes but in real life it's really hard to be divisive so most of those people you get them off in a in a boat or on a on a trailer out in a truck in a, in a cow pasture and you're talking about birds and your mutual love for caracaras and well how how come you're able to do this well it's because we run a hunting operation here it's because we're sportsmen and we you know by providing the managing this land for the water, for ducks and for cattle, we're also, as a byproduct we get snail kites, which are an endangered species. And and you're able to come photograph those and enjoy them and see them. And there's 600 nesting pair in Florida and we've got 30 nesting pair on this cattle ranch. Like it becomes a, the opportunity for us is very big in trying to find that common ground, but also being maybe the person that sometimes takes the first step and I, that's really hard because our our natural tendency, and you asked for a challenge, our natural tendency is to be defensive of hunting. And I am a defender of hunting. Like I've spent most of the morning today talking to city commissioners about a restricted area they want to put in a, in a city down here and, and fighting against that. And, you know, I have no ground to give them. I, yeah. I'm, I'm staunchly a sportsman. But at the end of the day, if I can't get some more people in my tribe and get some more people on my team, I'm gonna lose. And so this isn't nine innings. Like we're not keeping score, and at the end of the game, somebody wins and somebody loses. This is an infinite game, as Simon Sinek likes to say. How can we strategically think about this to get some more people on our team and and make this a a longer term move where it, it, it gradually turns in our direction? You turn in, you turn yeah. in a ship you don't turn it start starkly. And suddenly tomorrow we've got 500,000 hunters in Florida. It's gonna take a lot of effort and a lot of, which is why we put so much effort into the conservation side of stuff. So we do, you know, when we go and advocate at at commission meetings or for our wildlife commission, we often will speak on things that have nothing to do with hunting and fishing. Things that we care about deeply, shorebird nesting, uh, invasive species, like stuff that is gonna impact wild Florida we absolutely want to be involved in and show the broader environmental community in Florida that, Hey, we are here. We, we believe in this state and we believe in the wild things of this state. And we want to be a partner in that conversation, not an adversary in that conversation. But in conjunction with that conservation in the United States is built on the backs of sportsmen. Like that's not debatable. That's the, I can show you the history and the DNA of it. Yeah. So, Let's let's be inclusive in that conversation both ways. We're willing to include you guys. We're we're eager to include you guys, but we also need you to have our backs when these conversations come up.
0: Yeah. So the state of Iowa is not growing at a, you know, uh, at a thousand people a day. I'll I'll use the state of let's just say Michigan or Wisconsin. The, Michigan and Wisconsin are two states maybe even Pennsylvania in that that I when you would say when I say traditional hunting right a hunting that has a deep tradition I think of those three states right because those are the states that when opening day uh, is there things close down school is canceled like hunting has that big of a grip now on Florida when you have these transplants coming from And I hate to do the political thing here, but coming from more political states or excuse me, more liberal states where they're they're voting or they're coming from a big city and they vote um, with a liberal lean, let's say. And in that lean, then there is um, tends to be a an anti-hunting sentiment. Right. So, you know, and you may have already answered this in a way, but. When when you you have a a culture that is changing at all times, right? Florida 50 years ago isn't Florida today, and so um, it, it's completely changed. So you have basically two cultures kind of fighting against each other, and you hear about this um, uh, out west as well in some of these cities like uh, uh, Bozeman, Montana, for example, where you have a a new younger culture coming in to a uh a more conservative older heavily ranching focused area an outdoorsman area and i don't know if out in bozeman things are like changing from a hunting perspective but in florida it sounds like they are so how do you guys fight or not necessarily fight but incorporate a conversation not only between just groups of people but like culture seems like the hardest thing to change
1: wow you said a lot right there and yeah. my mind went in seven different directions um and i'm sorry that, i'm great, sorry
0: i just I, I went off and i apologize
1: i i have this great factoid about florida and that is um florida leads the country in coffins exported <laughs> Which means people move here, die here, and then want to be buried wherever they're from. And I've often said one of my goals is to make them want this dirt to be their dirt. Yeah. Like, we're not going to stop the transplanting. Um, and I see this all the time in you know social media groups that I'm in. Hey, just moved here from New York and I want a turkey hunt. Hey, just moved here from New Jersey and I want to, I want to get into snook fishing. Hey, I just moved here from Michigan and I want to shoot ducks. And generally the hunting community slaps them around pretty hard and says, you should stay there. You should go back. And I'm thinking, well, geez, dude, like if, if we're going to get somebody from New Jersey, I would like it to be the guy that wants to go hunting or snook fishing or like (laughs) he's going to add to it. So if that thousand people that moved here today, at least we got one. Yeah. Versus if we don't get any, like our, our percentage continues to drop. So like, there's a, there's just a simple math problem there that most folks fail to grasp. the problem I'm going to get myself in trouble here, but I, I do that pretty regularly. The problem is actually, I'll say it this way. I, I tend to lean conservative and, and, and I get exactly what you're describing. The problem in Florida has become, we have a conservative base that doesn't hunt. So 21 and a half million people, 200,000 hunting licenses, The state has a Republican governor. It has a Republican appointed uh, FWC commission. Uh, We've had Republican governors for 23 years. I think Lawton Childs was the last one, and he was actually a sportsman as a Democrat. Um, We we have a decidedly Republican-controlled House and Senate in the state. Our constituencies in D.C. are decidedly conservative-leaning, yet we have a lot of trouble getting traction for sportsmen from some of those elected officials. So it, it really puts into perspective how difficult this conversation can get because I can't just go in there and say, oh, come on, you know, Joe, the elected official, you, you support sportsmen because you're a hunter because the vast majority of them aren't. The vast majority of them are fiscal conservatives that are very focused on growth. And I would not shy away at all from saying, uh, in recent years, we've seen a huge uh, push for development in our state. In a largely Republican-controlled state, wherein we forced ranches off the landscape, like we 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 continually force ranchers and agriculture, citrus growers, um, we turn those into houses. The the saying in Florida is the final crop is always houses, and it's it's alarming. You could drive across town today and drive across town a month from now, and you'll see a new development like pop up it's it's like they're growing them um so it just it's not as simple as kind of the you mentioned wisconsin and michigan and, and pennsylvania these these states where it's intrinsically part of their value system
0: it's ingrained as
1: yeah as a as a floridian hunting fishing wild places are intrinsically part of your value system the problem is no one's from florida anymore So regardless of their political leanings or affiliation, we no longer encourage the participation in those things. Like our state doesn't have an R3 coordinator for hunting. We we don't have one. We don't have that position. We laid it off three years ago and never replaced it. So we don't really have an interest in encouraging more hunting. We have an interest in, well, what drives an encouragement of hunting in a lot of states, I would argue, it's a revenue stream for those license sales. We don't need that because we're getting revenue stream based off development. Every time we sell a house, our wildlife, and I'm not demonizing our, I love our agency. Like a lot of good people work there, but every time a house sells, they get revenue. Well, why do they have to push hunting licenses so hard? They don't. Yeah. So it's, it's really, man, it's a, it's a cumbersome, gigantic behemoth of a beast when you, when you get into it.
0: Yeah. Are public lands that may be hunting and fishing accessible being sold by the state? to accommodate this expansion of housing developments and, and, uh, I don't know, maybe even commercial.
1: No, public lands are pretty well protected. I mean, you could probably go find an example here or there when Jeb Bush was governor back in the early two thousands, they, they created a no net loss law for lack of a better term. Um, so we had, you know, I, I feel like it was right around a million acres available for hunting. And the idea was we could never lose any of that. Um, and that that statute, now the, the one downside kind of to that is we've never investigated sliding that up as we've grown in population. So we continue to press. So the state, this year is the first year that the state, uh, well, I don't know that it's first year ever, but it's the first year in a long time. That the state has fully funded a program called the Rural and Family Lands Program, which is a conservation easement program. Yeah, um, that allows ranchers to put some of their land into easements, and then getting leases in Florida is really hard because there's not a ton of land. We're surrounded on three sides by water, so if you think about it, in a state like Iowa, if you live at one edge of Iowa, you could drive over in Nebraska and hunt, right? Or drive over to Minnesota and hunt. Yeah, you 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 border in Florida like if you live in Cluiston, it's got to be in Florida or you've got to drive, you know, 8 hours to get to Georgia to hunt. Yeah. And so a lot of contention for real estate cuz real estate's worth way more with houses on it than anything else in Florida. So to protect these ranchers, these citrus growers, you know, the, this ag industry, sugar, some of those folks, we have to we have to give them some stuff so that they will if they don't allow us access, at least they're keeping houses off of it which then you get continuity of wildlife uh, habitat. So, you you know, you can have almost like refuges that are unofficial so that birds can rest or deer can rest or or whatever. Obviously I want as much land open for hunting and and access and opportunity as we can get, but, um, we don't see the loss of it, but we definitely feel the pinch of it because where you used to could have a lease where, you know, you and your family could pay $1,200 a year, now to get on a lease in Florida that's got any hope of game, you're talking ten grand a year. Yeah, and that's that's big money for the average hunter.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's something that we're going. Like I live in a part of Iowa that is expanding uh, fairly fairly quickly. Right in between, uh, I live on a corridor. I live in a small town, but since i've moved here there's been multiple housing projects that not projects per se but like uh, um you know zero lots have been moved in something that you'll find in a uh, an expanding type of uh environment as far as real estate is concerned commercials been brought more commercials been brought in great for you know the economy great for the the fact that my house has probably doubled since i bought it 10 years ago in value okay so with With that said, um, when a landowner the for example, the guy behind me, if I wanted to egg it out, I would have I would probably spend somewhere like eight to ten thousand dollars an acre to buy that and farm it, right? That's probably what the going rate is right now for egg ground in certain parts of especially this county where I live. Now a developer comes in and says, "I want to turn your field into a I want to turn your field into a uh, a housing development. I'm going to pay double or or even more than that per acre, so then I can turn it and sell those lots and build houses and all of this stuff. So the small town that I'm in right now isn't the isn't going to be the small town that I moved into or the you know the the developers have there's a value for that ground to build houses and not farming it anymore and we see that a lot in 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 this part of the state where where i'm from is that the same thing that's kind of going on where the ranches or the big swaths of privately owned ground are are being sold as development and not necessarily to continue hunting and and opportunities or fishing opportunities or even ranching opportunities
1: that's exactly what happens i mean you you couldn't have described it any better and we've the the legislature i was talking about a minute ago and said i would get myself in trouble a few years back they passed a law called the burt harris act which i'll get this a little bit wrong but it basically ensures that the state can't prohibit you can't simply shut down development because you don't want development Right. So, if a landowner buys a parcel of land that's zoned ag, the county is going to rezone that as residential if that's what the landowner wants wants because there's going to be litigation that results in that anyway, and there is no mechanism any longer in our state to stop that from happening. Yeah. Which is why it kind of gets resigned to a lot of uh, you know our folks. They're like, "What's the even the point in fighting?" And I'm like, "Well, if you feel that way, you should just shut it down and you know stop." stop hunting, stop fishing, stop participating, move away, like move to Iowa. Like, I, I just don't have, I don't have the patience for it. We're not going to fight this. So we, we absolutely see this all the time where ranches will get targeted. Their family farms, kids move away to go to college. There's no one to run the farm. What's mom and dad going to do? The inheritance is essentially this land that they own that, you know, was worth a hundred thousand dollars and now it's worth $8.2 million to a developer, those kids are going to sell that property and split it three ways and never look back. And you see a lot of regret from old ranching families that did go through this and and they sold it off, which is why things like conservation easements are so important to us as a state, because it allows the rancher to receive a a tax benefit, a a write-off benefit, leave the land on the tax rolls, deed that land still to their children. So their children can benefit from the use of the land and on a conservation easement, they can usually run some sort of operation, like a hunting lease or uh, a big, there's a big moneymaker in Florida in collection of alligator eggs for farming. Mm-hmm. They don't breed alligators in captivity. I don't know if you knew that or not, but most alligators, they go and capture the eggs in the wild, collect the eggs in the wild, and then take them to farms to hatch them and then grow farm-raised alligators. So there's lots of opportunities out there for farmers, payment for paid environmental services, gopher tortoise relocation is one. Um, we've been working on one for panthers down here. Uh, if you if you have panther habitat and you lose cows to the panther taking them, which is a frequent occurrence in South Florida, uh, maybe we can offset the ranch or some to keep some of that in, in wild so that the panther can take some level of their cattle. And essentially, we're paying you to feed the cattle, or yeah. paying you to feed the panther. So there's some opportunities there, but it comes it becomes much more magnified from a conservation standpoint, and you can see how hunting folds into that because – if we can incentivize a rancher or a landowner to put their land in perpetuity into conservation and hunters can help offset some of their financial incentives to get rid of that land. Now you've got something you can work with as a rancher because we all want to make money in life. Like that's, that's how we put food on our tables and and clothes on our kids backs. But also I, I feel I've never met a ag person in Florida that didn't care about the environment and their, and their impacts on it.
0: Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a heady conversation, super nuanced. Yeah. What's is crazy because I, I feel like there's, there are places in North America where the, the ag or ranching communities is at odds with the, um, with the hunting community, right. Where they, 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 the ranching communities will still allow hunting on their property, but it's through an outfitter or through a, you know, like the public land thing is kind of thrown in there. But I feel like listening to you that now more than ever, the sportsman and the private landowner who is into ag or into um, ranching are a tighter knit group because the walls of this higher population and a development are closing in on both of you guys.
1: You, you hit the nail on the head. Um, we, we talk about, so there's no way to inextricably to, to un, unextricably, I don't know if that's a word or not, but I'll keep it. Unextricably link things like water quality and water levels in a system like Lake Okeechobee. You can't disentangle that from hunting and fishing. And so you'll see some advocacy work out there on clean water in our estuaries. And a lot of times that will demonize ag because of the runoff into our systems. And you see, I'll make this up, but let's say 90% of the nutrient loads in our, in our South Florida water management district in and that, in that watershed come from ag. But if you go back and you look the amount of ag down there has been reduced and the management practices for how they conduct ag has changed drastically because a farmer doesn't want to go pay to put fertilizer on a field anymore if he doesn't need to do that. Like that's taking money out of his pocket and the margins have gotten so low. So it gets really interesting when you get into these conservation topics as a sportsman because sugar gets demonized in Florida all the time. University of Florida did a report several years ago where, water comes off of sugar land with less phosphorus in it than when it goes onto sugar land. So it's what's called a net sink for phosphorus removal. Now I'm not saying sugar is the best thought thing in the world, but if you took sugar off that property, if you took sugar off that landscape, we're not just going to replace it with the river of grass. We're not going to put the Everglades back suddenly. We're going to build houses there because that's what Florida does. If you take a ranch off the landscape, you're not just going to you know, let it go back to nature and suddenly it's going to be roaming with panthers and bears and deer. It's going to turn into houses because that land's incentive is there. So Florida in 1950 had three, 3 million people, a million head of cattle. Florida in 2022 has 21 and a half million people, a million head of cattle. And we love to demonize agriculture as all of our problems. And in reality, agriculture is almost none of our problems. We have too many people in a state you can't talk about carrying capacity of people. Like, that's un American. And I'm, I'm, I'm a guy saying that kind of tongue in cheek. You can't talk about that. So we have become super tight knit when you think about this from a conservation perspective. There's tons of ranchers out there. I'll never set foot on their property. And maybe they charge 10 grand a year to go hunt, you know, a, a white tailed deer that's got Texas genetics in it. But at the same time, they're keeping some portion of Florida wild that wasn't wild. Yeah. Or, or that was it's always the wild they're keeping some portion of wild that without that there would not be wild in the future. And I, you know, I've got kids, you know, my kids are almost grown, but I've got kids and I'll have grandkids one day and um, any conservation as you go through Audubon Roosevelt, they talk about generations in the womb of time. If we're not thinking long-term about the impacts that our decisions have. And I, I think that's a problem for Florida is from a, from a legislative, from a leadership standpoint, we don't think about it from a a long term what are the conservation impacts to our state. We think about it as a race to the finish to get this thing manicured as possible. And we don't think about what that means for hunting or fishing or how you interact and how you want to be part of that land and and interface with that land and those wild spaces. And you know, that's why we do the stuff we do.
0: Yeah. A lot of times when you know people are so worried about their own you know their own world that they live in. Sometimes they they go through life with blinders on and they can't see what's going on around them per se. Right? They're only focused on their life. Do you think that the 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 Florida story of conservation, what you guys have gone through and what you guys are currently going through, could be a um, a textbook for what's to come in other states? <laughs>
1: You hit the nail on the head, Dan. I, I say this on my podcast pretty frequently, like tongue in cheek, jokingly, because we all admire like like the content and everything you see come out of, out of Montana. And, like it's the seed of conservation. And I'll, I jokingly say, I gave the numbers earlier. There's a there's a million people there and 250,000 hunting licenses sold. I jokingly say all the time, come play in the big league sometime, guys. Like on any given day, you um, I've got I've got discussions around spraying aquatic plant management. I've got discussions around shutting hunting down on public lakes. I've got discussions around can we get hunting access on a referendum bill that was it's going on to ballot next year. Like the number of places where you have to put your troops to fight these battles are so spread out that you end up with like a guy on each front manning a station versus being able to have a concentrated Let's let's all load it up and email the state of Washington about bear hunting. I'm not knocking that because I sent my email in. Like I love what Hal and Sportsman Alliance and all those guys are doing. But at the end of the day, like we're fighting so many fronts down here at such a broad level. I then hear people in Montana talk about the growth that they see in a town like like Bozeman. And I'm thinking, you guys need to be paying attention to what's going on down here because it's coming. You look at a state like Tennessee, Tennessee's an exponential growth since the since the pandemic happened and people realized they didn't have to live where they worked anymore. Um, I I think I read two years ago, the state of Tennessee had 40,000 turkeys harvested. What's going to happen is some of these changes begin to manifest in Tennessee. And we say, you know, we want to share the the funding load. So let's start to pass some other taxes or some other stamps or some other fees that help offset this. Or we get raw money in recovering America's wildlife money in, and we got land and water conservation funding coming in what does that do to the sportsman's voice in that state and i and i recognize that there has to be a trade-off there somewhere like we need more funding but at the same time we have to be very very aware i said earlier we have to have our head on a swivel because the unattended consequences you can look at florida right now and see how it's going to play out and i can you you can come to florida and hang out with me at a commission meeting and watch this with an open mouth that like we'll go for two days and a hunting topic won't come up on the agenda it's just, it's, it's mind boggling. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I want to leave on a good note here. All right. As far as Florida is concerned and the efforts that you do through your podcast or some of the conservation efforts that you are involved in, what have been some of the biggest conservation wins for you? And maybe if if they don't all revolve around hunting and and fishing, that's okay. But then make sure you do throw like any type of conservation wins in there for the sportsman.
1: Yeah, I'll give you two. I'll give you one that's super sportsman, um, super sportsman driven, because I don't think you can disentangle sportsman from conservation, even though I tend to do it. So in other words, when we talked about that earlier, you know, I, I tend to start the conversation with conservation but somewhere in the back of my mind or maybe i can say it better this way we always talk in florida about wolves and sheep's clothing with with like quota applications and stuff and maybe the anti hunters are taking up all of our quotas and i always kind of think of it as why don't we ever double agents the other way why are not we going and recruiting some people and then and then convincing them that what we're doing is the right thing like why does it always have to be the other side as being nefarious to us and i'm not saying that to be nefarious i'm just saying why aren't we being strategic about this So the first one I'll give you is um, about two and a half years ago, uh, state of Florida Fish and Game came to us and said, we want to create a buffer zone for waterfowl hunting on public lakes where if a municipality wants to, they can create what's called a restricted hunting area and it it will implement a buffer from houses. So state of Florida does not have a buffer from houses. You can actually, we have a backyard gun law. You can go into any yard as long as you have permission. I can go in my backyard right now and I live in a subdivision and I can shoot a firearm a thousand times if I want to, Uh, as long as I do doing so doesn't create harm to life, limb or property. So we were like, no, if you guys create this rule FWC, um, that kind of obfuscates that backyard gun law and, and with development going the way it is, everyone wants to live on the water it's going to continue to contend with duck hunting and we will see more and more bad interactions.
0: Just getting choked out.
1: Yeah. Like, like it may not be a problem today, but it's going to be a problem in the next 10 years. Lake Toho is in the middle of the state. It's kind of near Kissimmee. It's traditionally one of the best duck hunting lakes in Florida. And it's, I mean, it's legendary. The 10 year plan shows the entirety of that shoreline of that lake being developed. So I don't want to hunt near houses, but I do want to hunt if I have to make the choice, I'm going to hunt near a house. Like if, if if it comes down to no hunting or hunting urbanized, I think that's a conversation we're going to have to have as a, as a community, as a hunting community in the future. So we pushed back, we led the efforts to push back on this. And um, in Florida, if you have a, if you have a game law come up at a commission meeting, it's lucky if you see four guys show up to speak on it. Yeah. Over the course of a year, we had, I think 38 different people show up at commission meetings to speak on this and they pushed back in succinct. Well, I mean, we turned our podcast inside out. We did weeks where we did nothing but classes on restricted hunting areas. I mean, we basically said what you talked about in the hunting industry isn't doing enough. We basically said, you know what? Screw the revenue and everything else. Like if I lose, if I lose listeners in Georgia and Alabama, so be it, we're going to do the right thing with the platform we got and, let the chips fall where they may. And we actually got it to the point where we had legislators call it, contacting our agency and saying, you cannot do what you're talking about doing. This is not acceptable. They drew a, a line in the sand. We had partners from sportsman's Alliance and congressional sportsmen and Delta and uh, NSSF and uh, Safari club. All those guys jumped to our aid. Like we reached out to them and they were all like, yeah, we're in on this, man. Why, why did no one tell us this was happening? let's get on it. And so we really rallied the troops and we had a huge conservation win because we were able to keep sportsmen on the landscape, which I think, you know, I don't think it's too far of a dash to say sportsmen on the landscape can actually keep hunting development or development off some of these lakefronts because they're not going to want hunters in their backyards.
0: Yeah. So
1: that was a big win for us. The other one is a, is a more conservation environmentally focused win, but there's a sportsman's aspect to it is You mentioned panthers earlier, and I said there's 230 of them. They're on the Endangered Species Act, even though the Florida panther is not really a subspecies. It's the same panther it's found everywhere else in North America. It's a puma concala. So we don't have panther populations like in the other national forests in the state, despite them being massive swaths of land. We don't have a plan to move them. So a few years back, some conservationists, some environmentalists, I'll call them, uh, Carl Ward, who's an NPR photographer, kind of led this effort for a thing called the Florida Wildlife Corridor. And the idea behind it was we want to have a green infrastructure across our state of wildlands, ranchlands, public lands, so that, or ag lands, public lands, so that animals can traverse and you could see expansion of species. So theoretically... Panthers could walk from the Everglades to Ocala National Forest or Apalachicola National Forest. And so Carlton and his crew worked really hard and they put that together. And as a sportsman and as a conservationist, we've jumped on in support of that and been pretty adamant supporters of it because it's a good thing for habitat. It's a good thing for species. It's I'll I'll say it flippantly. I could care less about panthers. That's not to mean I want panthers to go extinct or I do care less about panthers, but it is to mean, if a panther's benefiting from it, it means white-tailed deer are going to benefit from it. It means bobwhite white quail are going to benefit from it. It means Osceola turkeys are going to benefit from it. Black bears, ho- hopefully we'll get to hunt those one day. They'll benefit from it. We'll see an expansion of these species across these wildlife corridors. And through that conversation, they've actually started inviting us to the table and, and working with us on some of the legislation they're doing on some of the bills they're doing on some of the lobbying they're doing on on some of their films, they're starting to feature sportsmen in them. And just by simply saying we we've taken that first step and reached out to them and said, Hey, we want to be part of your team, but we have this thing that really matters a great deal to us. We just need you to recognize, like, let, let's, let's set our, let our, let's set our swords down for a second and try to work together and figure out a way forward that's that's good for our state, but also good for all the user groups in our state, all the stakeholders in our state. And we've seen some really good returns on that to to the point now where when I, I answer a wildlife corridor question or three a week, and we've we've been invited to speak on panels about that. We've been included, like I said, in some of their filmmaking. And that's a big deal for sportsmen because their audience, their audience is almost exclusively say the npr crowd the 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 nat geo crowd the the non-hunting crowd if they're willing to share a little bit of their platform with us man that's a huge win for us because of the 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 seats we can get in front of right it's getting out of the same circle that we're in today which is preaching to the choir in a lot of cases on on the sportsman side and it's allowing us to talk to some some folks that we would otherwise not get a chance to so even though it's a hard, hard thing we're doing, I'm really optimistic and I wouldn't be fighting if I thought we were going to lose. I'm I'm fighting because I think, I think it's just a thing we need to wake up and pay attention to and get more people on the bus because I I think there's a willingness to work with us. There's a willingness to recognize that we, we do have value and we bring a lot to the table and historically we are a major value to conservation in our state. So um, I, you know, I, 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 I'm glad you you let me end kind of with a with a high note there because it's it's a it's a it's not all gloom and doom and the future is bright but we definitely have a lot of battles and fights ahead of us.
0: Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. But there's soldiers out there fighting the good fight. You know what I mean? And um, it sounds like sometimes there's a lot of doom and gloom in conversations like this, but there are people who are sounds like I mean definitely in Florida with. We may not be many, but we are strong, and we are willing to fight for what we love and what we believe in. And and sometimes that passion not only can rub off on people who are, um, I'm not going to say against us, but they'll see that and they'll go like, "Hey, man, maybe you, this isn't so bad as what we thought." Let's give these guys a shot. Or the fight, just the straight up strength and f- the fighting style that a lot of sportsmen have allows us to stand our ground and people are just like, okay, man, you win. You know what I mean? So hopefully that, that momentum kind of just stands its ground against the other momentum and not necessarily that it goes anywhere, but it just doesn't go backwards. You know what I mean?
1: Uh, Well said, like we, we definitely are picking up momentum every day. Um, and, And that's, Sometimes it's hard to quantify because it's unmeasurable. I spent the day Friday at a high school speaking to AP science students on conservation. Guess what? I got that sprinkle into my conversation. How hunting matters, how license fees have funded conservation, how the North American model works. I wouldn't have gotten that opportunity had we not kind of stepped away from, you know, what we want to be strictly only about sportsman stuff to, we want to be about conservation stuff. Right. And by changing kind of just that little slight shift in how we how we approach things now i get to talk about sportsman stuff to a constituency like we always kind of joke in, in conservative circles we always joke about indoctrination in schools well i'm like well heck dude if we're gonna indoctrinate can i get in there and do some indoctrination for the stuff i care about right like and and that's really it's a door that's open i'm speaking at another environmental another school in another county so it's it's really just it's a grind but it's a pleasure to be able to do that grind because um what you hope is or maybe that's all maybe that's how i should wrap it up all we've got is hope so let's cling to that hope and let's do everything we can to continue to grow that army grow that that constituency that cares about these things the way we care about them and can see the value in the way we care about them and i i think if somebody takes something away it's to look at your state and see, you know, the writing on the wall and maybe, maybe take a closer look at Florida as a, as a textbook example for what's going to happen in your state. Maybe you can get ahead of this. Yeah. Maybe you can stem this tide when it comes there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I tell you what, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and, and just, uh, you know, sometimes just talking out loud about these things, it helps and it is important. And uh, hearing another, uh, another brother from a different state talk about what they're doing and what they're facing Uh, might give someone who's also fighting uh, for you know what they're doing in their state and give them ideas or say you know because sometimes we can get beaten down with certain things and it's good to hear success stories and good to hear um, somebody in a state that man like I don't envy you you know what I mean I don't envy uh, where you live and or well certain aspects of it but the fight that you have to go through with, you know, a thousand people a day coming to Florida. Uh, so uh, again, thanks for your time, man. Appreciate it.
1: No, thank you, Dan. And, and remember that you don't envy where I live uh, tomorrow when it's snowing, wherever you're at. Right. Like,
0: exactly. Like, exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for all that you guys do. I really appreciate you guys.
0: And there you have it huge shout out to travis man really appreciate your time huge shout out to all of you thanks for taking time out of your day to hop on uh or to hop on and listen man if it wasn't for you uh this i my life would be completely different so huge shout out to you um i'm gonna i'm gonna try to start working some more one thing i've, I've really fell off on is the the not necessarily rewards but the giveaways and uh, I'm going to try to get some giveaway stuff here, uh, here pretty soon. So there's that. And I'm just going to end it. So huge shout out to wasp Excalibur hunt stand vortex and Exodus. Please go out and support the brands that support this company. Be safe out there. It's Turkey season. Go get outside. And even though I'm not the biggest fan of Turkey hunting, man, I've been Turkey hunting. Um, I've gotten pretty close a couple days, But uh, I still enjoy going out and uh, hunting and enjoying Mother Nature. Be safe, spread the good word, the good vibes, and we'll talk to you next time.